So here we are again. Co-main event podcast book club number... Four. Four? We're calling it four. We're going to call it number four. Does that include the one where we dropped the ball on yes, uh, that Hellbound in- Heaven Sent? That includes the Hellbound Heaven Sent, essentially the UFC 151 of the co-main event book club. The one that... You know, we we wanted to kind of to bury it, never speak of it, maybe, and uh, the people the people rebelled against that idea. So yeah, this is officially number four, the book, Fletch, by Gregory McDonald. That's right. If you think that the people who listen to our show are going to let us forget our biggest mistakes, well, <laughs> you don't know them at all. Even years later, as advertised, we do have a special guest with us for the Fletch Book Club. Sarah Aswell is here. Hello. That. that. Is that it? Yeah, that's it for me. That's all you got? <laughs> I just finished the book moments ago. Literally moments ago. For those who don't know, Sarah Aswell is my wife. Uh, she is a writer and a comedian here in Missoula, Montana. Um, she, you know, maybe, I want to say this was hubris. Uh, Sarah reviews books for the local independent alt-weekly And so her attitude about reading Fletch was like, hey, I read books at the last minute and then have to talk about them all the time. So I got this. And I feel so at home right now. (laughs) I walked into uh, the bedroom like 15 minutes ago and she was like still six pages from the end. So good news is it's all really fresh in your mind. I know who did it. Sarah, are you you comfortable with that as a revelation on your professional character? (laughs) That you're just constantly doing stuff at the last minute? Oh, very comfortable. Okay, good. Well, let's talk about Fletch. We got a lot of good responses from the listenership out there, like we always do. We got got more than I expected, actually, from Fletch. Uh, We knew that the people would be interested in Fletch, but I'm pretty pleased with the the number of people that we seem to have tricked into into reading this book. That's what I was surprised is how many people actually bought the ticket and took the ride on this one. So there's a lot of questions about the character of the title character, Flitch, Fletch. Uh, and I guess oh, we, no, should, Chad, we should... Chad we should, read Flitch. I read... Oh, Did you fuck this up? Flitch is a great guy. Uh, <laughs> loves his family. Oh, man. We're going to have to reschedule. Terrible at solving mysteries, though, <laughs> is a, Flitch. He's a friend to animals. Um, I'm going to read this part of this email we got from Marco Bucci because I think it sets us up well to talk about... Uh, the morality of Fletch. What kind of dude you get here from a protagonist. Okay. So Gregory McDonald had me invested in a very flawed protagonist. It reminded me of what the creator of Breaking Bad said about that show's flawed protagonist, Walter White. He said that while we may not agree with everything Walter White does, what keeps us invested is that we never question the morality behind his decisions. Erwin Fletcher and Walter White have at their core an uncompromising moral value. Walter White is providing for his family... Fletch is on the ongoing search for truth. Okay. Um, I, I feel uncomfortable with the phrasing about we never question his morality. With I would say with both Walter White and Fletch. And for anybody who's listening right now, and I'm sure there's going to be people out there who did not read the book, have not seen the movie, just are such shit-eating wild men for some co-main event content that they are going to get on this, this book club podcast. Anyway, I guess we should maybe run down a quick summary of what happens in Fletch. Fletch is a story of newspaper reporter Erwin M. Fletcher, uh, who is basically embroiled in a mystery when a strange rich man asks him to commit murder while Fletch is undercover uh, investigating the source of 
hard drugs down at the beach. Um, and so the, the book is basically him trying to unravel those two mysteries. Where are the drugs coming from from the beach, which he has to write about for his newspaper job? And then why does this person supposedly want Fletch to murder him? Um, and I won't spoil it for you if you haven't read it. Then uh, that, I'm sure we'll talk later and actually spoil it for you. <laughs> the part about the morality. I would say not so much morality, but there is an internal logic with both of them that you don't question. Because I think what makes the Walter White character interesting is that the the morality changes. It's a character study where he starts out doing this thing to, for, to provide for his family and then ends up doing it because he enjoys it and gets kind of hooked on it. Whereas Fletch, his quest for truth is such that he can justify anything. And as we see him do several times, just lying to people constantly. And that's where like we start to question the... I think the moral fiber of Fletch. I have a theory. Okay. I think Fletch is a sociopath. And I've read this article recently about like how like 50% or more of sociopaths are actually like good people, like they're lawyers or business owners, and they use their powers for good. And then some of them use their powers for bad. And those are your murderers and crazy people. If you look at his behavior throughout the book, like he totally does some super cold stuff. Yeah. Although, I, I, I mean, I guess he shows moments of warmth, but like there's a part where he throws his ex wife's cat out of a seven story window yes. because a lot it of people smells bad. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cruelty to animals pretty early on. Right. Let's just run down What's some the of the moral thing behind that. Some of the stuff that Fletch does in this book, right? He throws the cat out the window. Right. It's yeah. heavily implied that he has a sexual relationship with a 15 year old junkie. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, more, yeah. I mean, more, more than heavily implied. When that 15-year-old junkie dies, and even the other drug people are telling him, hey, she's in trouble, man. You need to get her some help. Flesh does nothing to help her. And when she dies, um, his, like, the closest he comes to doing anything for her is burying her in the sand on the beach and then alerting the in police. In a sleeping bag. <laughs> okay, in a sleeping bag. <laughs> Don't be cruel. Uh, and then notifying the police. Uh, he tricks both of his ex-wives into abandoning their current lives <laughs> yes. and moving into an apartment. They both think that they are moving into the apartment with him because yes. one of the one of the central uh, parts of the Fletch character is that the women that he was previously with are still in love with him. Yes, mm -hmm. even though he owes them a lot of money. So he tricks them into thinking they're both moving in with him, but in actuality they are moving in with each other. Yes. At the end of the book where, spoiler alert... Fletch flees to South America with $3 million or whatever it is. Uh, he commits fraud mm -hmm. on numerous occasions. Many instances of fraud. He also sleeps with another woman while lying about his identity, which is also extremely problematic. Okay, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, the, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about discussing the Fletch character is to think about what Gregory McDonald thought <laughs> Or what he meant when he designed the Fletch character, when he came up with Fletch. Because this this book was published in 1974, so before any of us were born. A different uh, time, you're saying? Damn near 50 years ago at mm -hmm. this point. Well, uh, So clearly, social attitudes have changed about a lot of the stuff that is presented in this book. I don't know if they have changed enough to excuse statutory rape, 
or whatever. Uh, well, even other characters at the time seem appalled, at, right. you know, by his behavior. Right. So I'm I'm interested to think of what Gregory McDonald might have thought about Fletch, because Fletch obviously became a huge success for Gregory McDonald. Probably made the guy rich. Uh, spawned six or seven sequels of this book, including like a spin-off character, Flynn, who has a ser- his own series of novels. Uh, so I want I looked up an interview with Gregory McDonald, which. Greg McDonald has passed away since, but this is uh, this is like a much more recent interview with him where he says, this is a quote, Fletch believes in the social contract. If that is violated in any way whatsoever, the whole thing unravels. He's the sort of person who, if someone gives him more change than he deserves, he will return it. On the other hand, if people are lying to him, he has no qualms about misrepresenting himself to uncover the truth. Then he gets out of town as quickly as possible. Okay, the thing about the specific example of if somebody gives him too much change, he flees with $3 million. <laughs> but that's uh, after the social contract has been broken. Okay, I'm glad you said that because <laughs> the way this is like worded, does any violation of the social contract <laughs> justify Fletch then violating the social contract against everybody else? Because he is lying to people in this book who mm-hmm. have not lied to him. Uh, he is just doing it kind of in the pursuit of figuring out this mystery. Like, does that justify all his behavior toward these other people who just end up in the mystery kind of by accident and have not violated any social contract? And I think most cruelly, like, he never goes out of his way to do anything good. Um, Like, at the very end of the book, he's got two suitcases filled with $3 million, and he's passing by... That guy's old girlfriend and her son, uh, who doesn't even know he's been murdered yet, um, and is they're waiting to get on the plane and live happily ever after. And he doesn't even like throw them a couple hundred bucks <laughs> to maybe get back to to where they came from. Yeah, or even like yeah, he, he could do a number of things to help them out there, and instead he just leaves them standing at the airport and does like when asked about it by like. The stewardess or whoever on the plane does the Mariah Carey, I don't know her kind of thing, and then jets off into the sunset. The only two instances where Gregory McDonald makes an overt attempt to humanize Fletch in some way or to like uh, make it appear as though he has affection or respect for any other person are with uh, Alan Stanwyck's wife, who Mm -hmm. is the woman that he has the sexual relationship with. Well operating under an assumed identity. Uh, Which, in fairness, though, doesn't seem like it matters too much to her, but okay. Right. And then just like a feint in that direction for a paragraph right at the end of the book where he talks about seeing Alan Stanwyck's mistress and her son waiting for the plane. Like there's like a moment where we get like some interiority into Fletch, which we get almost none of throughout the rest of the book, where he says something about how she looks like a real person or she looks... Mm -hmm. uh, there's some like it, it makes a nod toward feeling some sort of like uh, empathy toward that person. And then, of course, he just gets on the plane and flies away without, you know, talking to them or giving them any of that money or whatever. But it's interesting to me that like it seems like Gregory McDonald makes a last minute sprint to try to make it appear as though Fletch like really respects these women more than anyone else. Really? Because one of the parts that I had kind of forgotten about uh until I went back and read this again for the book club was his first kind of, well, not the first conversation, but when he sits down in the cafeteria with his editor. Right. That's where I was going to go before you cut me (laughs) off. Okay. That one 
seemed like, okay, there was an opportunity there to to make Fletch into a different kind of character. And I, I couldn't tell, is Gregory McDonald, does he think, like, this will be cool? Fletch is such a hard ass about, like, this perceived uh, immorality of what's going on between the editor and and the, you know, the editor. Is it, like, his editor and then she's sleeping with the editor-in-chief? Yeah. And that's how she got this job? And he's so mad at this that he is just an unconscionable asshole to her. Yeah. And it would be easy to make him seem like a more sympathetic character in that exchange. Like, you could do that, but then he is just, like, sitting there at the cafeteria being like, you suck, bitch. <laughs> and you're like, man, I am I agree that you're kind of on the right side of this issue, but pull it back a little, man. Like, you don't have to be such a dick about it. Like, do you think that's a conscious choice on Gregory McDonald's part? Well, a lot of it seems to be offered as, like, humor, right? Like, a lot of Fletch's most uh, abhorrent personality traits seem to be offered up as, like... Uh, the books and the book is funny. Like it's a funny book. It's extremely funny. But like uh, that is one of the weirdest parts to me that sort of like the things that we view through 2018's eyes as being the most problematic things that Fletch is, is doing in the 1973, 74 manuscript of Fletch appear to be like the things offered up is like, ha ha, we're all going to high five and, and like nudge each other about how awesome Fletch is being in these instances. I don't think so because I'm going to go back to throwing a cat out the window. That was not cool in 1975. Like nobody's going to read that and be like, Oh, well, we showed that cat. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and it's like, it's or mentioned. Maybe, uh, maybe animals weren't treated with as much respect back then. Right, but, but I mean, like the ex-wife is still clearly pretty pissed off about it. Yeah. I, I don't think he, I mean, what, can, do we like Fletch? Well, that's, I, I guess I was just going to ask, I guess the thing that I was trying to get at it is, do you feel like we are meant to be on Fletch's side in those instances? I think so. I think that that's the, the intent. I think so too. And even with the cat thing, I feel like the cat is offered up as a thing where we're supposed to be like, oh, Fletch is a badass. He threw a cat out the window. <laughs> I think that we're supposed to be reading the book while living in discomfort. Well, yeah, that's, um, that's and if you possible. if you think about humor theory, like one of the oh, here we go sorry here we go comedian <laughs> no one of the ways that you create humor is through building and releasing tension, and I think our struggle, our own struggle to like Fletch despite his actions, uh, creates a lot of the humor in the book. And also makes you pull from it's kind of like being in an abusive relationship. Like when Fletch gets something right, you're like, oh, come on. Yes, Fletch. <laughs> and then he does something terrible again. And you're like, oh, it pulls you through the book. OK. Yeah, I agree with that. But I also and maybe this is, comes from having read a bunch of the other Fletch books. It seems like the concept of the character changes over time in these books because it doesn't seem like he is as much of an asshole in the other Fletch books. And I don't know if that's that Gregory McDonald like honed the character through writing more of them or that he changed his mind, especially when he realized I have a hit on my hands and I got to just mm-hmm. keep rolling them out. Or feedback from yeah, yeah, readers. Yeah, possibly people were like, hey, Fletch is an asshole. And he was like, I can fix that. Um, but yeah, because that is kind of absent. One, I wanted to read a little bit of this comment from Tracy Dickinson because it gets at a question that I have kept asking myself. I, I won't read the, the whole one, but... Uh, I took Ben's recommendation of reading Fletch within 48 hours before the book club review. Nice. Uh, just to challenge myself. Also, I may or may not be a procrastinator. 
It's not the type of novel I typically seek out, but it was a very quick and entertaining read. Fletch's character was likable even when he was extremely unlikable at times. His interactions with Alan's dad showed another side of him, but it's hard to tell if he was legitimately being nice or if it was just another one of his personas. Okay, there's more to this comment, but that's the conversations with Alan Stanwyck's dad, who he calls up at his hardware store long distance, uh, which is a thing back in 1974. <laughs> And they're like funny moments, but there's also like, I asked myself the same question. Is this, does he get into a situation where he's having this conversation under like, false pretenses, but then he has the, the mask slips a little bit on purpose where he's like, Hey, I won the, the bronze star or whatever it is. Um, and I'm going, okay, is Fletch, is this something Fletch needs to talk to somebody about? And he feels like, okay, this is a good person who I have contacted in the course of like doing a bunch of lying to everybody. Let me just unburden myself with this. Like why, why does he do that? That's a good question. Like that, even though I didn't think about it a few minutes earlier, like those conversations with Alan Stanwyck's dad do in retrospect seem like another attempt to try to humanize Fletch a little bit. Uh, and, and frankly, like the whole uh, plot line about him being a war veteran and having won the Bronze Star is tricky to me because it's obviously a, a like an end run by Gregory McDonald to sort of make Fletch appear inarguably heroic. Like he has <laughs> a literal hero. <laughs> yeah, he's like he makes him a literal war hero, but it also casts this weird specter over the rest of Fletch's character, which we, which is never like, uh, concretely nodded toward, but it makes you wonder, like, are we supposed to think of Fletch as kind of like a damaged veteran? Like, did he go Mm -hmm. over, was he in Vietnam and now is like a, a sociopath and like, frankly, suffering from PTSD style symptoms that kind of drive him to be an uncaring, uh, asshole. I like that reading. Really? That had not really occurred to me. Well, the other thing I noticed, the, there's a parallel between uh, his opening up with Alan's dad and then at the end when, um, is Alan his name? Alan Stanwyck. Oh, yeah. Uh, when Alan's wife comes and visits him at his apartment and is like, I know what's up. I figured it all out. When she solves her half of the mystery and he's like, oh, I really like this woman. And he right. kind of opens up to her, too. The parallel is both... Alan's dad and Alan's wife figure him out. And that seems to be the only thing that softens him up. I think he says that about Alan's dad. He said like, well, Alan's dad like blew my cover and I ended up having to like be nice to him. But he doesn't really blow his cover, right? Yeah, he does. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, it depends on how ironic you think. Mr. Stanwick is being in those calls because he, he like oftentimes talking, yeah about like the life insurance company and right yeah. he says a bunch of things that maybe lead you to believe he doesn't buy the fact that the person calling him on the phone is a life insurance well then he, he divulges an awful lot about of like his son's personal details to someone who he might suspect is lying to him and I guess you'd have to wonder why he does does that um here's an interesting comment. Uh, I think this one, it's a really long one, so I think it's from the Great Dane. Uh-huh. Known to send uh, very long uh, comments, but he has a good point. Uh, uh, this is just one small snippet of his larger comment. 
I remember Ben made references on Twitter, but the use of the rotary telephone and the pre-internet research was interesting. Reading the book, it didn't initially stand out as unusual to me, but I imagine if I was 10 years younger, the references to those things would be incredibly odd. My grandmother had a rotary phone, and I'm old enough to remember a time before the internet. I did think Fletch calling around, pretending to be different companies, was a 1970s version of hacking. <laughs> okay, yeah. I love it. Yeah, me too. I love that idea. <laughs> that, I mean, that is... And I was amazed... Because I remember my concept of this book, like in my memory, was, man, I can't believe how quickly it moves. And it's just, it's all dialogue pretty much. And it's just so fast paced. And then when I went back and read it and I was like five chapters in, I was like, wait a minute. He's mostly just called people on the phone. Yeah. I feel like a lot of action is happening, but he's sitting there just talking on the damn phone. Right. Which is one of the triumphs of the book, really. And Brandon Boyd writes in to say, I can't remember an author who can make dialogue so easy to consume that the reader doesn't get lost in. And I really enjoy McDonald's writing style. Like, uh, like you said, a lot of the, the early chapters in the book are really just him calling people on the phone. And in addition to that, there's a lot of recap. There are those scenes where he's like talking into his dictaphone, speaking of like stuff that was around in the 1970s that might seem totally foreign to younger readers. Okay. Somebody mentioned, I. I I can't remember. Maybe you will remember who it was who made this. Uh, is it the one from James Guildford about whether or not uh, Gregory McDonald got paid to <laughs> yes, submit an extra 10,000 words? <laughs> Do you think the author, can't remember his name because I bought the Kindle version, uh, was told he had to submit an extra 10,000 words, so he chose to insert the stupid and completely unnecessary because it's not that complicated dictaphone recap sessions? I mean, it reminds me of those collage Simpsons episodes I used to hate. Anyway, Fletch was the first book I finished in about three years, and I'm sleeping better as a result of reading before bed. So thanks for that, I guess, uh, James Guildford. Uh, I think we're going to take issue with the with his yes with I, his take on the on the dictaphone recap sections. Yeah, I think the dictaphone serves a kind of classic detective story uh, purpose. Like you need somebody for the detective to talk about the case with, uh, especially when so much of the like there's really almost no interiority to Fletch, as you mentioned. Like he doesn't have a partner. He doesn't have a partner, so we we need to know kind of like what Fletch is thinking as he's unraveling this mystery. And right. the dictaphone serves that purpose. And it's you see that's a trope that pops up in so many uh, like interesting ways in a lot of kind of like mystery detective stuff. Like uh, did you see the newest Blade Runner, the Blade Runner twenty forty nine? I did. I saw it in uh, a completely empty theater in the Las Vegas Strip. You know that theater that's like right by the MGM exactly Grand, the theater. It's where like you have to like, yeah, you have yeah. to turn and go down the alley, and then you exactly go in, and it looks that like legitimate. It look, <laughs> it looks like a theater that would be in a zombie movie, like yeah. in a Caesar Romero zombie movie. The rest of the world has fallen, and like <laughs> the only safe place is this theater, and do we they? are a band of misfits who has barricaded ourselves inside. Do they have popcorn? They do have popcorn. Oh. So, yeah, you'll be fine. It's Well, I was in Las Vegas to interview Francis Ngannou. Like I had a free night in Vegas and the pro move, if you aren't going to go gamble, is to find the longest movie playing, which was Blade Runner, and go watch it. So I did. Now, in that one, he has the uh, hologram girlfriend. Yes. And she serves that role. Like she is the dictaphone, basically. Like she, and since she's a hologram, it's kind of cool. She can just pop up whenever and be like, "Hey, what are you doing? How's the case going?" And it can be sounds like, like you want a hologram girlfriend, man. You know, more and more. <laughs> Every time I hear the phrase "comedy theory," and I think, "Oh, my hologram girlfriend would never say that." Do they cook? <laughs> okay, fair point. But 
that you need somebody to kind of be around. Or it's even like something like, like the Big Lebowski, where he has Walter and Don, where he can like go to the bowling alley and sit there and talk to Walter about, here's what I think is really going on in this mystery. Like, you need that, and the dictaphone I, serves that purpose. I agree partially with our reader, though. Like, what about the chapter that is the newspaper article written about the drug bust that is just a summary of the entire book that we've okay, just read? Okay, yeah. Some of that stuff, I wondered if, it will, if an editor wanted him to put that in there. Because the book does go so fast, especially right at the beginning, that, you know, maybe for an audience not as sophisticated as ours... Uh, <laughs> There, you would need some recap, or like, there were. Inst- I mean, even when I was reading it, there were instances where I was like, when it gets to the dictaphone sections, I, I and I would go through them. I'd be like, oh right, yes, okay, I am on. I do know what's happening. Like, I am following all of this. So maybe it was yeah. like put in there for like people who weren't reading the book in a, a twenty minute sprint, right? <laughs> like, it, uh, if you would like read a chapter and put it down, come back to it several days later, read it again. Uh, so I think that there is like some sort of like writer's toolbox stuff happening. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a craft thing because it helps the reader. Like you want your reader to like the best mysteries. The reader figures out like half of the mystery and doesn't figure out the other half. So you feel like you've accomplished something, but you also are surprised at the same time. And I think those sessions help you piece together the mystery, but not all the way. Um, we talked a little bit about like kind of style and everything. In this interview, the same interview that you referenced earlier, he's asked about, like, it says, the question I believe is, American crime novels are usually written in spare language. The Fletch novels take that to extremes. And uh, Gregory McDonald's answer is, I work very hard at being simple. By the time a person is 18 years old today, and by today I think this interview is like the 90s, right? Uh, he has seen 21,000 hours of film at 24 frames per second, and he has just incredible images already built into his consciousness or unconsciousness. Back when Sir Walter Scott was working, he was writing for people who hadn't been 50 miles from their houses. So if he was describing a street in Edinburgh or let alone Paris, he had, he'd have to describe what was going on and what everyone was doing. Now, unless you're writing about something really exotic, you have this incredible bank on which to draw. Where Walter Scott used 7,000 words, I can get it down to seven by conjuring the images that are already there. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. Basically, he's saying, like, I love that. I can make it this fast because, like, if I'm just talking about this guy in a newspaper office and he's going to the beach, I don't have to describe to you the beach. You've seen a beach, you've seen a movie with a beach in it. You know, there's a lot that I can do there and just kind of cut through it. I also think he just does a great job with, like, similes. He has some of the most awesomest similes in this book that like save so much time. I try to remember one. Like he describes someone as looking like a like a sad frog on sitting on a lily pad or something. And then you just you don't have to know anything else about what that person looks like. You know they look like a sad frog. Uh at the same time though, not to totally move on from the like the recap sections, it's interesting to me that so much of that stuff gets repeated and happens on the page. And yet like as a lot of really good mysteries do Fletch's actual like unraveling of the mystery happens mostly off the page. Like you're not, you don't know what he has figured out and that he has figured it out until like it happens. Mm -hmm. You know, he figures out what Alan Stanwyck's true motives are. Uh, He figures out that the chief of police is the source of drugs on the beach Spoiler alert. And you don't like you don't know it until he tells his editor that (laughs) after you said it. Spoiler. Yeah. um, That kind of ties into something I want to talk about, 
Um, you guys are both journalists. I'm a journalist. Is Fletch a good journalist? You know, he does a lot of things that uh, <laughs> we were like, okay, that's definitely unethical and like illegal. Um, and yet, you know what? It was honestly the the part that read the falsest to me was that were the fake newspaper, or I mean, fake it's fiction, but like the newspaper stories where we just read the. And I was like, I was reading it, and I was like, this does not read like a newspaper story to me. Well, I think it reads more like a newspaper story in the nineteen seventies. Yeah. Okay, I, yeah, you you might be right about that. It served um, a totally different purpose than they do today, kind of. But I mean, Fletch gets the story in the end. But then he, he kind of makes the story. <laughs> yes, and he'll even like write the story before the thing has happened. <laughs> right. That's where you're like, okay, Fletch, you you've lost me, journalism wise. I feel like he's the consummate book or television journalist. Like uh-huh. it's he, it's like he's like one of those internet memes with all the pictures of like. This is what I do. This is what my friends think I do. This is what my mom right. thinks I do. He's like the. This is what TV or a book thinks a journalist is. Uh, even though I believe Gregory McDonald actually he was, was a journalist. A journalist. Yeah. He worked for the Boston Globe. But he just does all this shit like pretending to be people that he's not and like lying to people and frankly going to live on the beach as a junkie for weeks on end, uh, which just probably wouldn't would never actually happen in real life. And again, it's implied that he was actually doing drugs during his. This time. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, he's, there's that conversation with Bobby where she's like, I've only seen you shoot up like a couple times. Like, what's up? Like, and he's like, oh, yeah, he kind of like distracts her, uh, you know, but that's where you get the window of like, okay, he has been like kind of pretending mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe legitimately doing some of this stuff to, to pass himself off that way. But yeah, there's a lot of pretending going on. But uh, this reminds me of this comment from Jeff of Atlanta, where I think we should talk about the Bobby character, the 15-year-old drug addict. Um, Jeff of Atlanta says, another for the uh, procrastinating crowd, but he says, in the immediate aftermath, my mind strangely stuck on the character of Bobby. She was initially introduced as a 15-year-old drug addict Fletch was sleeping with for his story, inducing cringes everywhere. But then she had a piece of dialogue with Fletch early on that hung for me that hung on for me for the duration of the book. I'll never be 26, will I? I guess not. How do I feel about that? She asked. I don't know. She said, neither do I. A few dozen pages later, her, first, her foreshadowing comes to fruition, and she ODs. Her character is easily the most tragic in a book filled with fairly awful people, which I think is why she stands out to me. By the end, I wondered what purpose she and her death serves a story other than to be used by Fletch throughout. I, he... Even used her death to lean on Gummy and Fat Sam. No one except Gummy seemed to feel any remorse for her. I kept waiting for there to be some justice for Bobby, but it never came. What say you? Was Bobby an essential part of the story, or could it have moved forward without her? What purpose does Bobby serve? That's a good damn question. Is she just a reminder that, like, hey, it's not just people getting high and it's all fun and games. Like, people die this way. Right. Like, in terms of function in the book... It seems like that character is there just to make the need to blow up the drugs on the beach uh, conspiracy totally like uh, un- unassailable to the reader. Like Bobby has died. She has she has OD'd on the beach and now Fletch must uncover. He must bring down the chief of police because Bobby has died. Even though he could have helped her and really kind of directly chose not to. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's like how we get to know Fletch. Like, okay, 
he doesn't mind getting his hands dirty in the story that he's trying to tell like that he's not like other journalists he <clears throat> he's personally involved uh is it maybe since it's again 1974 is it to make fletch seem less of a narc for ruining the cool drugs on the beach scene <laughs> like he doesn't wear shoes and <laughs> he sleeps with a 15 year old drunk you are just like that she dies and so we're like okay this is serious therefore we don't mind that Fletch oh. ruined everybody's party down at the beach. You know what? That's actually a good angle for that. Still, he probably didn't need the boner. No. No. Or she could have just been 20. <laughs> okay. She could have been written in as 20 and it would really have been okay. Still not okay, but better. What about Alan Stanwyck? After I finished this book... Despite the fact that I really enjoyed the book, I think that it, that in a lot of ways it's a, a, a triumph of craft. But when I after I'm done with it, I'm like, what the fuck was going on with Alan Stanwyck? <laughs> like, what? Wh- <laughs> like the the overall the the overall premise of the book just doesn't make sense. Like, why would Alan Stanwyck want to fake his own death? Like, I guess it's implied that he wants his wife and daughter to get the insurance money from his death. But it seems like the most outlandish possible fucking plan for a rich dude to try to do because he just because he wants to go live with his. his Yeah, just because he wants out of his life. Okay, I think McDonald tries to solve that problem by having many of the characters say that he's married to this company and can't abandon it. It would affect tons of people if he were to leave like the stock, not just his wife and daughter and his father-in-law but like a lot of stuff would go wrong although even if he died they implied the stock would go down right so wait are you saying like he feel he knows that he's going to tank this company by bailing so he's like okay the least i can do is make sure that i leave them with this money and because that is so important to me i will try to pull off this elaborate scheme which includes (laughs) murdering a homeless man yes 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 Yes. and okay here's maybe the weakest part for me is when he's a psychopath you guys yeah well okay when fletch shows up and is basically like aha the gig is up your jig is up uh you know i i know what your whole plan was and he and he's like you know you seem like a nice guy and like uh, an upstanding guy but you were gonna murder me right like how do you justify that to yourself and alan stanwick's answer is don't I have the right to murder anybody who is going to murder me? But Fletch was only going to murder you because you asked and paid him to do it. Like, that's not really murder. And it's it was kind of like, I guess at that point, you needed to wrap it up. But it felt a little too easy the way Fletch is like, oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. It's like, if not for the murder plot, Stanwyck and Fletch could have been bros. Yeah. In, yeah. in another life. Even had the same bone structure. And then if, you know, does it seem like a, like Gregory McDonald backs out of this thing at the end in that the chief of police, spoiler alert, the chief of police <laughs> like shoots Alan Stanwyck through the window. Yes. Yeah, it's like because he has dyed his hair to look like Fletch. Yeah. Right. I think that's the only part of the book I didn't like. That seemed to tie things up a little too much and we didn't need it. Yeah. It felt like a little bit of a cop out. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like this. A literal cop out. A literal <laughs> cop out. It's like the, the uh, it's like a cheat code for Fletch. It's like Fletch doesn't have to make any of, like, doesn't have to do anything hard at the end of the book. It's like his wives moving in with each other. Like, his problems solve each other. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, all right, that one maybe. Uh, Someone wrote in to ask. I can't remember who it was, and I thought it was a good point. Is it ever explained in the book why Alan Stanwyck never brings his wife and child to meet his parents, or why he hides the fact that they have a child from his parents? Did they ever like explain why that's the um, case? That well, hmm. is it that he has been planning on bailing on this? whole life since like before I, he was no, married maybe. because he I, wouldn't let him come to the marriage like or, he, or the wedding he tricked them basically so that they couldn't come to the wedding i think not telling them about the child is a way to keep them away because if you have a kid they're going to want to come and visit the kid if i know my grandparents <laughs> right um that would be my guess but they'd never really explain it yeah ha got you gregory mcdonald the more i think <laughs> about <now>? this <laughs> The more I think Gregory McDonald just loves like ambiguity and having the reader struggle with these two, two different ideas. Like, here's another one. Like, is Fletch attractive? I feel like we get two different stories told to us at the same time about whether or not. You mean, Fletch... is he physically attractive? Is well, that what you're asking? I mean, overall attractive. Yeah. Like, um, women seem to want to sleep with him, but yeah. he's also described as totally disgusting. Well, but in like a, a 70s counterculture way, though, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like he's walking around barefoot and like in ratty clothes. But right. like, but the style editor loves him. She, right. She's all into that. Well, somebody so else. he's like an attractive slob. Somebody else wrote in to say that their roommate, I believe it's J.J. Uh, Hamilton, wrote in to say my roommate or my mate. So J.J. Hamilton is probably a. Just or, a friend. Yeah. Had read Fletch previously and dismissed the whole novel as a, quote, fantasy wank. Uh, <laughs> no, I can see. Which, okay. uh, that's that's yeah. not fair. But there are what? aspects of it where I always wonder about this. It reminds okay. me of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Where Stieg Larsson, the guy who wrote the book and then like died of a heart attack right before it became an international phenomenon, uh, was like a frumpy, middle-aged, overweight, investigative financial journalist. And the main character of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a frumpy, overweight, middle-aged, financial, investigative journalist. What a coincidence. all of the hot young girls in the book want to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and so Gregory McDonald, as like being a former journalist, sometimes I'm like, why are we doing this thing where like the slob journalist is like the hottest thing on the market and like every per- women, woman in the book like can't keep her hands off Fletch? Right. Well, okay. So I saw that more as – because I think that's a popular thing that happens in detective right. novels and um, throughout literary history. I really think – and maybe it's just because I like this book – that Gregory MacDonald is aware of that and is – Blow, exaggerating it so that it's funny and it's a a tool of humor in the book. Okay, that's, my that's a generous reading. <laughs> that's my reading. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, because Fletch is unlikable enough, like that. Gregory McDonald wouldn't want to be him. Right? I think well, no. I think that there's. I think that there's a really good possibility that that's right. I think that there's a really good possibility that Gregory McDonald is fucking with us in yes, a lot of ways. I think so too. That's book. why I love it. Um, see, it reminds me, this is another thing to point back at like the big Lebowski as a, an example of somebody playing with a detective genre story. Like, but that one, the nod to that convention is a little more overt. Like when, when the dude comes home and Maude Lebowski is basically like, Hey, fuck me. 
And he's like, oh, okay. And then like afterwards, <laughs> when it becomes clear that this was all because she wanted to get pregnant by somebody who would never be involved in her life. Uh, and he's kind of like, oh, wow. And she's like, well, what did you think this was? And you're like, okay. Yeah, there's one where it's like, oh, yeah, the detective guy is just kind of like banging broads. and But like this one, at least she's like. Well, yeah, obviously, I must have had a reason to do this because <laughs> I can look at you and like, here's my reason. And it was just like lost on you. It, if he's doing that kind of thing here, the subtlety is, I guess, impressive because yeah. I did not necessarily think that. I think. I, I think. You, you think that's what it's, what's going on? Yes. Uh, okay. Before we move on to the discussion that is going to drive Ben crazy. Uh, <laughs> Shout out, first of all, to Chuck Turtleman, who wrote us in uh, and stuck. Tuttleman? Tuttleman, sorry. uh, Stuck extremely close to the book report format. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In so much as that the first line is, Fletch is a 1974 fictional novel written by Gregory McDonald. Yes, I love it. He hit us up on uh, on Facebook to send us to that to us, and I already told him that I loved that he stuck very close to the book report. Uh, assignment, but I just wanted to say it on the show that like, if we were sending out bobbleheads, Chuck Chuck Tuttleman would probably get one. Also, he uh, he said he decided not to Google uh, the difference between Polish and Romanian style sex, and was hoping we could explain it. <laughs> really? I got nothing. Hey, I'm sitting here with a married couple. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys want to figure that out, explain that to us. I don't mean literally figure it out right now, but like explain <laughs> it to us. All right, let's do this. Jill DiGiorgio. Okay. While reading Fletch, I imagined the main character as a young Harrison Ford. Would the movie version have been better if Harrison Ford played the titular character instead of Chevy Chase? Or does the movie suck regardless of who acts in it? This is our segue to talk about the movie version of Fletch. God damn it. Which is going to make Ben crazy. And before we do, let's point out. One of the things that I learned in that interview with Gregory McDonald is that he retained, this is weird, I've never heard of this before, he sold the movie rights to Fletch, but he retained the rights to approve the whoever played him in the movie. Oh. So, like, he turned down Mick Jagger, which seems like a terrible fucking Whoa. idea, and he turned down Burt Reynolds. Yeah. What? Which in the well, 70s is only yeah. slightly better, but still kind of a weird choice, I think, for Fletch, and eventually went with Chevy Chase, and one of the reasons that... that uh he said he liked the Chevy Chase performance was that he thought that like Mick Jagger and Burt Reynolds were kind of too snarky about it. Yeah. And that flat and then Chevy Chase kind of plays it straight. Well, he says in some ways, um, he has that puckish quality that is Fletch. Like, you know, this kind of playful yet mm-hmm. mischievousness about him. But one I of the things go that, with Jill though. Oh my gosh, Harrison Ford would have rocked that. That would have been a that would have yeah. been a good choice. Let's talk about how the fuck this book <laughs> becomes the movie version of Fletch, where a lot of the movie is just Chevy Chase doing physical comedy and getting his head stuck in an overhead oh, light. What? I haven't seen the movie, but Don't. oh my god, do it's not bad. do it to yourself. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's it like sticks remarkably close to the plot. It does, uh, but. And yet feels you know, like a completely unrecognizable work. Right. It's like book. a it's like a schlocky comedy. Yeah. While I was reading this, I was like, this could be an amazing movie if it was made today. Because I feel like in a lot of ways it's ahead of its time. Like yeah. it's got the like I feel like right now, like good bad guys are super in, and this is a bad good guy. This would be so cool. Yeah. Or a Netflix series. Yeah. Right? There's so many of them. There's like nine seasons. 
<laughs> and there are like nine books. No, of, that's what I'm saying. It like, could be nine seasons. Interestingly enough, the director, uh, Kevin Smith from Clerks oh. and Mallrats, tried to revive Fletch in the early 2000s oh, and like no. cast. Uh, who's the guy that he tried to cast as Fletch? Uh, one of the guys from his movies that I, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, Jason Lee is who it was. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh. there, like Kevin Smith has a whole Facebook kind of like blog post about how his plans were foiled by Harvey Weinstein. Uh, cause he was signed to the Weinstein company at the time and, and Weinstein wouldn't let him make the movie with Jason Lee. Cause he said, nobody knows who Jason Lee is. He doesn't have a, a like a following Hate to say it. Weinstein, S- Sarah hot sides, sides with Harvey Weinstein on today's podcast. <laughs> uh, so then he, they tried to make it with Ben Affleck, but then Affleck like went off to do something else and it never came together. And actually I just Googled it a couple days ago. There's like a, uh, a project which is quote unquote in development. There is from like 2015. So oh. take that for whatever it means to like uh, do a movie of Fletch star- starring Jason Sudeikis, the guy who is That's... like he's kind of a comedic actor. But oh yeah, who is that? What about Justin Timberlake? I think he could do well. Although <laughs> Fletch is young, right? He's like 29. Yeah. In the book, the first book. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't I actually don't hate the idea of Justin Timberlake in it. Right? I think that could be good. But it I'm is... going to start on the script. Okay, good. <laughs> is that like later today, as soon as we finish? Yeah. You're going to just hammer that out? Or are you going to wait till the last minute? It'll be it? done five minutes before filming starts. <laughs> okay. uh, the, the tone of this book would be tough to capture in a movie. It would. It makes me wonder like how you would do it. Because I had the same thought as Sarah. Like as I was reading it, I was like, oh holy shit, like somebody should make a TV what about show. The Cohen brothers could make this so awesome. That actually is true. Uh I was thinking like this should be uh this should be a TV show. Um so much so that I mentioned it to our friends who are TV oh, yeah. TV creators while they were in town. Uh but the thing that I wonder about is like how would you do it? Like what would be the tone of the show and how would you capture Fletch without making him the worst yeah you make the girl bobby 20 first of all <laughs> step one <laughs> step one um i think you would ruin the book if you tried to make him more likable yeah yeah although the the again the follow-up novels really i don't want to say that they try to make him more likable but they definitely how many animals does he kill in the the follow-up I, you know it doesn't I don't recall too many instances of animal <laughs> abuse, but there, I mean, there's still the instances where like he's lying to everybody and he's like pulling off a bunch of like skin of his teeth scams kind of, uh, all at the same time. And is constantly in some kind of like legal jeopardy. And one of the things that comes up over and over again, like in, I've read, I don't know, maybe four of these and I've read some of them that are even like really late in the series and still somebody will like pop up every once in a while and be like, hey, remember those crimes you committed in book one? <laughs> we got you over a barrel now. You got to do this. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, OK. Guess I'm still still dodging that bullets like years later. And it kind of made me wonder, like, do you have to? Is that because you assume anybody who's reading the another Fletch novel the only thing you can assume about them is that they read the original Fletch and maybe none of the others? Or is it the Gregory McDonald's own kind of nod of like, the Fletch character has changed. Uh, this The worst stuff he did was in book one. Hmm, that's, hmm. 
And book one is the most famous and most popular one. Um, I want you to talk about your, you, you brainstormed a lot of potential names oh, for yeah. Fletch sequels. And it seemed like maybe that was the, the most enjoyable part of reading this for Because the actual Fletch sequels are funny for y- readers yeah, who don't know them. Let's see. They are Fletch 1, Fletch 2. Fletch, the spelling, though, is clever. Right. Fletch, comma, T-O-O, yeah. like as if it were and an Fletch, animated children's Fletch movie. Fletch 1, as in like W-O-N. Confess Fletch, Fletch's Fortune, Fletch's Moxie, Fletch and the Man Who, Son of Fletch. They, they go on. <laughs> Karaoke <laughs> Fletch, where he's in Rio. Oh, yeah. I missed that one. Um, but yeah, I was thinking of ones I wanted to see, like Fletch Goes to the Circus. <laughs> I think he could have fun at the circus. Fletch. Oh, he getting into so many hijinks at the circus. Fletch realizes he raped someone 12 books ago. Oh, that's the title? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a novella. This one is more introspective than you're thinking. I don't know. But um, now I want to read the Flitch books, so I'm a little torn. <laughs> yeah, so maybe Chad can give us some insight into that. Uh, what is the feeling like upon completing Fletch? I mean, Fletch is really good. It's a really good book. Uh, and and But... I mean, I feel like I I think that mostly for writerly reasons. Like the way Gregory McDonald writes this book is insanely well executed. Like it mm-hmm. literally starts like the first page is is literally basically Alan Stanwyck asking Fletch to kill him. Yeah, like that's how quickly you get into the story. There's almost no Lean AF. There's basically. no like exposition. There's no uh, meat. There's no fat in this thing. Yeah. It's just like a fucking knife. The whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of why I enjoy it. And you really can sit down and read it in like, you know, a couple hours. Three hours. If <laughs> We have the actual time on it now. Uh, I read almost all of it like on planes on my way to yeah. Vancouver and coming back. So it was like it was perfect. Uh, and, that, you know, I hadn't like I hadn't really thought about the extent to which Gregory McDonald might be fucking with us. But now after like hearing Sarah talk about it that makes me feel a little bit more delighted in it, frankly, and like feel a little bit less weird about some of the aspects of it, even though some of it I think is super dated and super like cringeworthy when you read it, mm-hmm. you know, today. Um, I say this as someone who dislikes most things and most <laughs> mysteries. Um, and also as someone who's super sensitive about issues of sexism and, um, those types of things. I thought this was a totally awesome book. I can forgive some of the 70s stuff, and I think the other stuff is really McDonald um, doing it on purpose um, to mess with the reader's emotions. Um, okay. Did you feel like you had an emotional reaction to this book by yeah. the time you're done? Um, like or I did said, you feel like you just had a good time? Because I get what Chad's saying. Yeah, like yeah, as yeah. a writer, it's one thing to feel like, I'm impressed with how you did this because I recognize how hard it must have been to do, like to yeah. craft it this way. Um, but as a reader, did you come afterwards and at the end and be like, I didn't have a huge emotional reaction at the, at the end, maybe because I was a little rushed. Um, <laughs> you, but uh, interesting way you phrase that you were rushed, <laughs> but I do think like Chad said, um, it did an amazing job of, uh, taking me out of my world and putting me into his world with 90% dialogue. That's insane. That's such an accomplishment. Um, and it made me think throughout the book. Like I, 
was really in, I was super engaged during the entire book, which is a rare thing. Uh, there's a part in this interview where uh, he is asked kind of like about, um, the, the interviewer asks him, you write very well. You could be writing in other genres, and from time to time you have. Why write mysteries? The answer, because I enjoy having readers. Certainly you could take <laughs> what I'm trying to say and fly off to the university and write much longer, heavier books along the same themes. Somehow I would rather have 20 million readers than 200. That's good. Yeah, that's a fine answer. <laughs> Well, uh, but it's kind of an acknowledgement on his part that basically, like, um, I'm making pop songs here. But... And I could, I think I could write symphonies. But you guys both agree that there are, like, deeper themes in Fletch than, like, a mystery. Like, there's social commentary and um, stuff. Right. There is social commentary and stuff. There I is. Agree. Well, and, and for a guy who would just be like, well, kind of like wink i'm i'm writing mysteries to make the money is basically what he's saying like he's doing it in like a he's doing it really well yeah doing it is. in a way that seems like it's not a put on and yeah. that makes me think even more that he's in on the joke which joke the the one about the the one that um about what kind of person fletches yeah exactly huh okay yeah i guess i for a while, I got really into reading these and the Flynn books. The Flynn books, by the way, if you enjoyed Fletch, then there's just there's no reason that you would not enjoy Flynn. Uh, it's a different kind of character, and Flynn comes up, I believe, in Confess Fletch. I think that's the one where Flynn first shows up. Have you read that one, Chad? Well, Flynn is one of the guys who shows up and has Fletch over the over a barrel. Yes, in Confess Fletch, I right. believe, is the one where I he's in so Boston. Too. Yeah, um, and Flynn is a like Irish uh, police inspector in Boston and it's made the point is made over and over again that the Boston police department does not even have inspector as a rank. Uh, and in the Flynn <laughs> books, we learn that basically Flynn has some kind of like shadowy spy past. Uh, and it's never in, even clear like what government agencies he may or may not be working for at any given time, but it's kind of the same thing going on. And, you know, I, I got into reading like Fletch books and it's like, it's really easy, especially when you have a Kindle, you finish one and the Kindle's like, why don't you buy another one? And the Flynn books are very much like that. But every time I finished one, I'd kind of be like, okay, again, I marvel at the craftsmanship and I kind of feel like I just ate a big bag of Fritos. Yeah. Especially maybe once you read, read a couple and you're like... And that's the ba a bad thing? <laughs> so, no, I, I will sit down and eat a big bag of Fritos. You know this about me. I know. Uh, but of my Fritos. <laughs> but I also felt like maybe after reading a few, I start to wonder... Are you painting by numbers here, and does it matter? It doesn't matter if the paintings just are a lot of fun. Right. And so many, I mean, mysteries are kind of have to be a lot of painting by numbers in a lot of ways to make them work. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a formulaic kind of genre. Right. And some of the genius uh, of the book, like I said, is in the craft where it's like you read it so fast, it's so spare. Mm -hmm. That like even if you don't like it, you might read the next one. <laughs> right. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, it might be like, well, it, it only took three hours. Like the Kindle wants me to buy another one, I'll just read another one. And you guys said you both read them on the plane, which I think is perfect because it does take you out of the plane and put you into a, a place that's fun um, for a long period of time. Yeah. Well, I kind of thought at one point, like when going back and rereading this, like this should be laying around in like a like a dentist's waiting room. 
Like, because if you just picked it up, if you were like, what it would the hell get is stolen this? within like a day, <laughs> every day. Yes. Not only is it short and engrossing, but like Fletch is like, it's okay to steal a book. <laughs> it's part of your larger Whispering pursuit of truth. <laughs> On that note, let's wrap things up. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah, for joining us. Thanks on for our having discussion me. of Fletch. Thanks for reading it in three hours. Thanks to everybody out there who read the book and sent us your thoughts. Uh, we tried to get to as many of the comments as we could, although we got just way too many to include them all. Uh, so thanks for that again. Uh, we're going to do this again, right? Pro- probably not Fletch again. Probably not another Fletch book. Can we talk about how your the plan was originally that your wife was also going to join us and you basically fucked that up? Yeah, I forgot to ask her. Oh, my God. And then... Uh, <laughs> And then it got too late for me to ask her, and so is this, she, how, she, is, this is how she's going to find out that Sarah's going to be like, oh well, we had this book club that you were supposed to be on. Either that, or she'll listen to this recording. She's not listening. We to this. Not, no way she's making it this far. She's not going to get fifty-six minutes into it. We should read the new book by the Sister Brothers guy. No French, French exit. I've by, started that by Patrick Dewitt. It is enjoyable. It's only out in hardcover though. Oh, that's Kindle. True. What? Well, it's like thirteen dollars on Kindle. We'll talk. We'll talk about, about it. We'll figure something out. Yeah. All right.